Hello and welcome to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. This is the pod that takes you right into the England camp to get a sense of what it's really like for the players and to get a feel for their journey so far. This week I'm sitting down with two young players with plenty of buzz around them, Locke, Charlie Yules and back rower Ben Earl. Right, Charlie Yules, Ben Earl, thank you for joining me. Um, I've got to tell you, I was at the game at the weekend and I drove home with a massive smile on my face. Go back a fortnight ago, I actually woke up at four in the morning thinking about your game down in uh, Cardiff. So thank you very much. You put smiles on faces. Fantastic performance, boys. How's it changed the energy in the camp? Yulesy, you go. Tell me. Yeah, you know, winnings, that's why we do it, isn't it? Like winnings always better than, than losing. But I think the thing that, um, on that, like the energy in the camp is better today, 100%, because you've won, like you're sore, you're stiff. Yeah, it's good. And the, the energy after Wales wasn't like this. But I think the thing and probably the difference that I've seen, so I've been here in like some capacity now for like a number of years, either training, like in and around. So you get like the feel of camp. And probably after that Wales game, like it was very much like the, the mood was obviously driven by the result, but like also by the performance. And there was elements of that performance that were, were very good. Some of the attack was very good. Some of the defensive sets were very good. And yeah, you come out on the wrong side of the result, but like the mood was a bit more leveled. It wasn't like, oh, we're down in the absolute pits because we've lost. And then it, like equally now, it's not like we're like on top of the world because we've won. It's like a bit more, yeah, we, we want to win. It's good when we win. But also like the thing that's probably more pleasing was like the performance was good and the result was good. Already there's a definite like looking towards, like we're talking now uh, Sunday night, we've already had the first meeting looking forward to Ireland and like, right, what's next? Like, How do we get better? How do we go again? I think that's the um, the difference between now being on the outside when you're when you're exterior when you're a fan. It's like yes, we're the best team in the world again. Um, everything's amazing, but like the reality is, as soon as that whistle goes, you guys are looking forward to your next game. It's like yep, yeah, that was good. This was good. We can work on that. Let's focus on that this week. Ultimately, it's done now. Let's move on. Where we're all sat at home, happy as Larry, you know, um, which which is brilliant. And the other thing I picked up on is when you win. Like your body just doesn't feel as banged up when you lose. Like those, you know, you carry those knocks a whole lot, a whole lot more. Um, ben, what was what was said uh, after the game? What were you most pleased about as a as a team? Um, a few things were said. Obviously, it was a big occasion for a few lads. It was Anthony Watson's fiftieth and Max Millen's first start. So there were some big milestones for for individuals there. But obviously, we were just happy that we felt we were closer to to where we wanted to be, closer to back to our not back to our best, but closest to what we wanted to look like as a team. Um, we spoke a lot about togetherness last week for the Test match, and that was all we really wanted to judge ourselves on was the togetherness when the ball was in play, when the ball was out of play. And uh, I think by and large, I think we were pretty happy with with everything like that. And and Eddie just challenged us to be, we've been speaking about being special good. I think he said American mannerism or a saying uh, from a few NFL coaches, and that's something we're really driving towards. Special good? So- yeah. Sounds like the sort of thing I'd say. No, exactly, exactly. No, it's something um, they showed us an interview this time last week after the Wales game and it was kind of like making a choice for the week just gone and thankfully it paid off. Can, can you reference that? Who, who was the team using was it? it? Bill, Bill Belichick was having an interview with another NFL. Yeah. I'm not massive into my NFL, but it was, it was definitely him and another very successful NFL coach. And they were speaking about um, these NFL teams we're talking not just being good, but being special good in their culture, in the, their actual end products, as well as their process, I think. Okay, brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'm interested in that sort of stuff, so I'll check it out. I'm sure there's people listening that will want to want to see it as well. You talked about um, Max's first start. He's obviously a housemate of yours down in Bristol. And Tone, I used to call him the young horse, but he's the old horse now, Tony the Pony, uh, on his 50th. You boys managed to celebrate with them at all. What, what did you do post-game? Uh, we all came back to the hotel and just sat around in the dining room, socially distanced around our tables with, with our drink of choice. And some stayed up a lot later than others, but um, everyone got everyone got around it for at least a couple of hours. And it, it was a lot of fun, to be fair. So it was nice. Brilliant. What about, like, I, I looked at your performance and, you know, you were in the game, the the whole game, which is brilliant. You know, that, that Wales game is pretty well documented. You got back to 24 points all and then it kind of all imploded and, and didn't go your way. Whereas that that France game, you stuck at it, and, and that's why you you effectively won the game. 
Are you disappointed, Yulzy, that you've only kind of got one more game to go in this tournament? Because it feels like you guys are just kind of, you know, it's all coming together for you. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's one of those where, and like you know yourself, like you come into these, you come into camps, you come into a campaign and you've in a, in a five-game tournament, you have to hit the ground running. And then when that doesn't happen, you're then chasing your tail a little bit for the rest of it. And like you say, you don't, you don't have like, yeah, it's, it's brilliant that, I guess, well, the optimist would look at it and say it's brilliant that we have built and the performances have been growing and growing and, you know, the results have sort of followed and, you know, can't wait to get out and, and, and test ourselves against Ireland again this weekend. But then like the pessimist would say, well, you've got to start, you've got to start better. And I think when you've got a group of guys who want to be, who want to do well and want to perform, want to win, that's probably the overriding feeling of like, yeah, well, this, this is where we are now. And ultimately, you know, they're all with buts and maybes, aren't they? Like they're, they're not controllables anymore. Things that happened at the start of the competition, but you look back and you think, oh, I wish if we'd have just, you know, started a bit better, we'd have done that a bit differently, done this a bit differently. But then equally as well, the reason that we've been able to wrestle out of that is because we've grabbed hold of, well, that's gone. That, that, that's only going to bring us back, but we've grabbed hold of the training and the performances and stuff. And like I say, they've grown through the tournament. So I guess it, you know, it's another learning lesson for this group for the next time we come together we'll be better for it because we don't want that to happen again. Um, I think it's worth t- telling people that we're, we're filming this 24 hours post game. So uh, I touched on the, the physical nature of the game. How are you feeling, Yulzy? You obviously um, started and did you play the whole game? Uh, I played 75, 76. Yeah, you played the whole it, yeah. game. So Charlie, you played 75, 76 minutes. How, how do you feel post-match physically and, and mentally? I'm good. Yeah. Like there's, like you said, there's, I don't know if there's something in it or not, but there's the, the win or lose soreness is definitely a thing. Yeah. I think the thing that always amazes me on these days is that, yeah, the way that you wake up and the way you go to bed, you can do a lot of, you know, a lot of recovery in, in 12 hours. Like I woke up this morning and I was sore and I was stiff. And then I've been in the sauna today. I've been treated today. I've done a couple of other little bits. I've eaten well. I've laid down. I've had a nap. I've basically not done much. Sorry, when you say the, eating well, is that just yeah. like smacking in as much of whatever Eat you want? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. is that, is that what it is? Just get it on board? After yeah. After something like yesterday, there's a, there's an element of like, yeah, you gotta eat the right things, but also you gotta just eat the right amount as well. Like you gotta get you gotta replace those carbs, calories, all those things that you've you've burned through yesterday. I listened to a podcast the other day with Matt Fraser, the CrossFit guy. Uh he's just retired now and he was talking and like some people, they go for like all these recovery things, like they're, they're in the sauna and they're doing all these like weird and wonderful things, but then they neglect their like sleep, hydration and their food. And he said, if you could like package up sleep into a tablet that was a hundred quid each, like it would be sold out in the shops. Like everyone would be buying it because of what it did for recovery, but because it's just, it's there, people don't do it. So I think those things on top of all the other little things as well. And then, yeah, like you get yourself, by the time you wake up tomorrow morning, you're ready to do it all again. Mate, sleep. I'm with you on that. The foundations, and it's free. Ben, you, you had a, a burst off the bench. How, how many minutes are you getting, mate? 18-20. Uh, 18-20, and you, you had that kind of penultimate turnover that won us the game and then got reversed. You know, h- how do you feel physically, mentally, I can imagine, relieved? Yeah, it was a weird one, wasn't it? Physically, I'm, I'm fine. But, yeah, emotionally, I was incredibly relieved. It was, it was kind of like a real roller coaster of emotions in the space of about three minutes. Like, you got the turnover. I was like, that is like, that should be the game done now. Our penalty on the halfway kick to the corner, they're probably not going to go the length, barring a, a howler. So, and then I'm not sure why, but for some reason, the, the replay was showed on the, on the big screen and, and that was just showing everything that didn't need to be shown. And, and it looked like Andrew Brace just looked up and said, that doesn't look right and reversed his decision. So, I don't know. Someone needs to have a word with the big screen man at, at Twickenham. But now nah, it is what it is. And obviously it was a bit of a weird one. But um, just, just for clarification, so did he reverse the penalty because your elbow hit the floor? Because I, I was watching I think so. live. I think that was, yeah, I think that was uh, the initial off feet was the, was the reasoning. There's a joke going on in camp that I've got incredibly short arms. So it's actually very tough to, um, <laughs> to actually be on my feet and uh, my elbows touching the ground. So I guess that's, that's uh, even more proof in the pudding. No, it, was, it, was, it was very impressive, um, but I was I was equally confused as well. And um, being one of the only bums on seats in, in Twickenham was a very squeaky one at that time. So I was very relieved. But physically, you're good as gold. Yeah, 
you're only young that's why you're young yeah exactly i've got if i say anything then everyone goes how can you you've only been doing this for a few years that kind of thing and so i just keep my mouth shut if anything is bad if i'm in the medical room you know something's really bad that's kind of the way i see it you are right you've only been doing it a few years uh we're going to move on now to to kind of like your journey i suppose for for both you uh, it's fair to say you guys kind of impress quite quite young. You, you've been through 16s, 18s, 20s. Did it feel inevitable that, you know, an international call-up was going to come for, for you, Charlie? Is it sort of the thing when you make 16s, 18s, 20s, you're like, the next thing I'm going to get is that international call-up? Or, or did you have a moment there where you had to really work for it? I think when you're 19, 20 and you're playing 20s and you don't know anything about rugby or the world, I think you think that's the next thing because you go like, oh, Owen Farrell played 20s when he was my age, so look what he's doing now. But then I think when you leave that environment, get thrown into a premiership club, play men's rugby and realise you're back at the bottom of the food chain again and you've got so much to learn about the game and about life that then when I was young and naive, it probably felt inevitable. And then when reality hit me like a train at 2021, then you realise actually there's a lot of work to do it. So yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say once I worked it out that it felt inevitable, but it was it was always... It was always a goal and a driver of mine. I, I can kind of relate to that. You, you kind of fly through those age groups. 20s wasn't a thing. I played 21s, 19s and 21s. But then you get into that international setup. And I felt like I got there with relative ease because when you're a young player, you, you're kind of shiny and exciting. Even I was shiny and exciting once, Ben Hill. But then like staying there, that, that's where I felt it was really hard. You know, you, you start getting... You know, I was the third choice hooker and you, you sit there and you really want to play and you think you're good enough. But the reality is like you're way off the mark. Like I didn't even know how to throw the ball at, at that time. But being in that environment, kind of getting a taste of it made me go away and, and work probably more at, at sort of my my skill set. And again, what you touched on there, my awareness of what, what I needed to basically play at that level. I mean, I played with Johnny Wilkinson. And to see the standard that he set, it made me go, right, that's what I need to apply to, say, my throwing. So, yeah, Ben, what about what about you? You, you had an amazing rise. I mean, I was, I was much like Charlie speaks about. I had my last year of 20s to do. I was fortunate enough to be called up to go to South Africa on that tour that we unfortunately lost. But um, I guess like what you said, Dylan, like I had the first meeting with Eddie and you inevitably, if you get picked for these tours, you, you think you've got you've always got a fighting chance of playing. But Eddie was like, you're, you're not going to play on this tour. I just want to see what you're about. I want to see if you can actually, like, kind of just test you and keep testing you. And my God, that's what he did. I had some incredibly trying moments on that tour, early, late at night, doing crazy things with medicine balls that I'd not done before. I think I think he said that in the, in the interview when he selected me, it was something about, like, his shiny brogues and he wanted to rough my roughen my brogues up and my goodness me he did that so you, you room with robbo on that tour as well yeah, did, yeah you know rooming with like um an elder statesman like robbo really professional guy been around the block what what did you pick up from you know rooming with chris well i guess i guess like coming from my perspective i had not met really anyone settled into the international team bar the people at my club so it was really interesting to like kind of pick his brains and and talk stuff but like how normal and how nice a bloke he was you come from a 20s environment where like you know there is there's a current uh, a rugby saying you know position hating and everyone speaks about you know you can't be best mates with with another flanker for example because that just you know it's not right but like how welcoming all, all the positions were and like everyone genuinely wanted to help each other because they knew if I got better then that's going to push Chris to get better for the weekend so that was actually one of the biggest things I I like picked up from from that from that tour. I think. I, I think that um that term position hating that that must only happen in in younger teams because I think it's born out of insecurity. When you obviously get to senior rugby, guys are really comfortable and you've obviously matured and, and been through it. You know, talking to someone like James Haskell, he loved working with older, younger flankers because it you know ultimately made him better. You know, if he could pick your brains and then George Smithers, George Smithers. George Smith's brain, um, it would only make him a better player. Hi guys, Carl Sinclair here, uh, England rugby player. You're listening to England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. What about your, your early days um, in camp, Charlie? Did you know Was it as smooth for you or, or was it quite spiky? Were you tested? Were you tried? How, how was it for you? You were there, mate. You saw the Dementors sucking my soul. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, like, I, I live my own experience and, and Ben's at his, but 
I do know how it was for you, but can you can you tell us? Yeah, it was it was really hard. It was really really hard. But like again, it was exactly what I needed. Like I went from we often actually so like we'll like this is more back at the club, and they used to do it sometimes here. Like you would score a session as you came off the field, like your RPE, which is like was it your something perceived exertion? So so how hard do you think that session was? I'd be walking off the field sometimes at the club before I came here and I'd be like, oh, nine out of 10. Oh my God, nine out of 10. I came here and never did anything more than a three out of 10 at the club. Like the way that we trained. And then like Ben said, you just get this treatment as the young guy. We were in Portugal. I was in the sand pit with Dean Benton, who was the head of S&C at the time, at the end of what had already been a mental long session doing God knows I just... I do remember that. There was sprawling down and up. Like I remember scrummaging and like one-on-one scrummaging and stuff like that with your, your face in the sand. Oh, mate. So we're doing like... And it, oh, of- let me just say one other thing. Every animal under the sun loves to poo in sand as well. So you always find poo when you're, you're doing conditioning <laughs> in, in sand pits. It's too so, late when it's at the bottom of your foot, though, isn't it? Yeah. Or, or no, more in your face, your forehead. Your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Foot would be a dream. Yeah. <laughs> so we, you're in the. I, was, I just remember being in the sand pit and being sweaty. And then I couldn't really, like, he was getting me to do clap press ups in the sand pit. But obviously, every time I clapped, got to the point where I, I was just throwing sand in my face. So then I'm just like eyes closed. And then I didn't really have much left in the push. So I was, by this point, I'm just like basically head in the sand. Head in the sand, just thinking like, do I, I do I really want to do this? Do I want to play rugby? Like, is that, am I sure of my life decisions at this point? So there was, yeah, there were some days that were tough, but like you, you push that, what's your 10? Like you push your 10 to a new place. And then suddenly now your day-to-day training, you're able to train harder because mentally like, well, I've been way further than this and I survived. You might be in your second session of the day, maybe 45 minutes to an hour and a half long, and then you're asked to go do a little bit. I know the answer to this, but do you think it's more about how you perform in that little 10-minute, 15-minute fitness session, or do you think it's the attitude that they're looking for? 100% the attitude. All they're looking for is one, when your name gets called at the end of that session, of like, oh, these boys have got a few extras. If you roll your eye, like that's all they're looking for. An eye roll or a, oh, anything like that is what they're looking for. They're just looking for the bloke who goes like, cool, what's next? Like, yeah, happy days. Even if like, you know, I'll run, eventually my legs will stop running and I'll walk and then I'll walk and eventually they'll stop working and I'll crawl. Like, they don't really care how quick you go or anything, but they're like, is he pushing himself and is he just, and then because that's what it was and that's how this session, this what this one day in particular sticks with me and that's what it was. It was like, oh, we're doing this and then we did this running and then we finished that and it was like kind of giving you that false ending and it's like, oh, now we're wrestling and then we went and wrestled for a little bit and then it was like, finish that. And then it was like, and we're in the sandpit. And they were just waiting each time for like someone to go, oh no, I'm done here. Like, it's, it's a little bit like selection, you know, like I'm not saying like proper special forces selection, but you know, SAS, who dares win selection. Like every every three minutes they're going, you're right. And the only, the one thing you can say that kind of passes you for, for good attitude is like, yep, good. Just keep saying good, you know, like good attitude, you, you're fine. Let, let, let's throw that back. Because I remember being under 21, under 20, like 19 years old, like you're in a team of rock stars, you know, like everyone's full of testosterone, you're pumped up, you're all professional rugby players. If you could go back, I mean, both of you boys have succeeded, you know, you've broke out of that and you've gone to the senior men's team. Not all of them do it because, you know, I, I played just 10 years for England, just drop that. But I always heard about the next best thing kind of coming through. Every year there was an under-20s hooker that was coming to to play in the England men's team. And guess what? Only, you know, Tom Youngs and Rob Webber were the same age as me. So we're all in the same year. And then post that was Jamie and Luke in my sort of time in the shirt. So what happened to the rest of those guys? So if you could go back and almost, what is the difference? What what makes guys evolve from that under 20 side to a senior men's player? Is it opportunity? Is it mindset? Is it attitude? What What is it in, in your opinion, Ben? I think that's a really good question. I think, and I think that therein lies the issue of, of the pathway that that we have is that you can lose quite a lot when people start believing in the hype, as it were. You know, you you, you I wouldn't say anyone could conquer twenties, but it's easy to feel like you're you're a good player at twenties. You, you get picked every week. You know, you're away from your club for five six weeks and you you play well. Then you get back to your club and then you're back at the bottom of the pecking order, and, and that can be can be demotivating. And I guess the only thing I would say is that like club form is is everything. I had that in a way, like I, I did the 20s in my first year and, you know, I thought I'd really cracked it and was like, you know, it's time to kick on. You then come back and, and your club signed Scott Berger and, and that's just a real like reality check. And you're like, 
you're like, okay, right, I'm I'm nowhere near where where I need to be if I want to be competing with these guys. So I think it's like your attitude. You know, anyone can enjoy twenties, but it's actually your attitude at the club. I think is actually more more important. And I think Eddie will probably pay more attention to your your Premiership performance than your twenties performance, as it were. Let's move on. Let's talk about kind of squad depth, uh, selection, being in camp. We just talked about Mark Wilson, the the old horse um, in the back row. But let's look at you young bolters. Eddie quite famously said there wasn't any open sides in the country. And now, like two years on from when he said that, even 18 months it might have been, you got like four or five of you boys all kind of fighting it out for, I mean, you'd play anywhere, wouldn't you? You'd play six, seven, eight. How's that been for you in terms of your development, Ben? Yeah, it's been good. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm completely honest, it, it is. it has been difficult at times. You know, there's some tough moments. Like I, I've played with Tom Curry ever since I was about 15. And then to go and see him, you know, get the real huge opportunity on the international stage when you, when you at the time thought you were ready is, it was tough. And I, you know, you had to have some harsh words with yourself and actually realise that, that you were actually nowhere near his level, which is obviously tough to take when you're the same age and you've been playing together for years. So, but no, like I say, you, your time will always eventually come, I think. And I believe that. I think, you know, it's so cliche, but that hard work and then you hard work and patience are probably your two key assets and, like I've I've had to do a bit of that and people behind me have had to do even more so. So I guess you're just thankful when you get your chance and get to put the jersey on or, or be in and around camp. I, I guess the thing with you is you could be that hybrid player, in my opinion. How do you feel about hybrid players? Maybe your next shot might not come in the back row. How do you feel about that term? I, I really don't mind. It's, I, I, it's, 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 I think it's quite cool, really, if I'm honest. Um, I do, Charlie will vouch for this, like, we'll have unit sessions and like they'll just be like, yeah, Ben, if you just pop over with the backs and I look over and the forwards are like mauling and I'm like, maybe I'm making, maybe I made the wrong decision 10 years ago. Like I should have just said I was a 12, but now like it is cool. And I guess for me, it does buy into a bit of what I can do. And, and I enjoy aspects of, of backs play, which, which I do enjoy. And yeah, I, I guess it's just another you know, tool to your box, I guess. Have you ever feared, I mean, Charlie, I'm not even going to come to you with the hybrid player. I don't want to, kind of patronise you but I just can't see you playing anywhere else other than lock <laughs> some yeah some things are just yeah, above my control but Ben so sat, sat on that um, England bench at the weekend are you prepared if there's another back injury or Eddie's kind of made all his changes and you're the last guy are you prepared could you run on in the back line somewhere and if so do you know where would you go yeah I think I like I think I could do it but I don't think I'd be adept certainly at the beginning of the game to do it I think Teams are fast, are like so refined in their backs moves. And, you know, there's a lot more to defending in the centres than, than what it looks like. I think there was actually one occasion, I don't know if you remember the game, it was actually Wales in the last Six Nations when Manu got red carded right at the end for a for a high shot. He'd had a brilliant game and and it was me and Willie Hines left on the bench and he actually told me that I was going to go on the wing for Anthony Watson, I think. And I was like, honestly, I was like, what? Like, what am I going to do here? Like, I've not really done a huge amount and whatever. And I guess that kind of sparked um, a thought in my head that it was like, if this happens again, I like kind of need to be a little bit ready because it, we've had a few six-two splits on the bench when you have six forwards, two backs, and I, yeah, for me, I see that. And sometimes I like, I'm like, that means I could definitely cover both bits for for myself. So I guess I have that in the back of my mind at times. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we see it all the time. You know, Johnny May's been in that scrum a few times now, famously, which which I love to see, but you don't often see it go the other way. No. Let's go back to, in terms of competition, Charlie, um, you obviously got um, Big Slosh, a.k.a. Joe Launchbury, Maro, uh, Cruiser over the years, Courtney. How's that been for your development? You know, Because, you know, all of those players there, for, for me, world-class players, like great players, great kind of students of the line-out, uh, physically impressive guys. How's it been for you? I've probably been asked this question more than any other question ever. All right, let's not talk about that. Let's in move career, on. So, no, so <laughs> yeah. do, you want my, do you want the stock answer? And like, and obviously, because I've been asked it so much, I like remember the first time I asked it, I was like, oh, I've not really thought about that. But now, like, like I say, I get asked this one all the time, like, oh, you know, yeah, you you play in a generation with Joe Launtry, Marrow, Courtney, Cruiser, all this. And, like, and genuinely, it probably goes back to those, like, as a young player, if I was chasing a lesser version of one of those guys. If like the two second rows that were playing at the time were, were average, I probably would have come through as average. I might've had a game or two being average. And then, and then the next guy would have come along that would have been better than me. And like, whereas actually having to push and compete with those guys. And the thing that's, that's so good about that group is firstly, like Ben said, like coming in, 
the competition is there and like we compete hard, but there's like this mutual respect because knowing that that competition makes the team better and makes the individuals better. So there's this massive competition, but at the same time, like all those, like I get on really well with all of those lads and like they've all got such different skill sets. Like, like you obviously know playing with Courtney at the club like what he can do he's more of that like he's got the back row skill set around the ball carrier and the way that he hits people in the tackle and stuff and then he's not as much of a set piece forward like he's very good in those areas but he, he's ne- he's, he doesn't want to step up and like lead in those areas he's just happy to you don't need to say effective. this I'll say it for you Courts is just too relaxed to be taking on any sort of responsibility with calling lineouts. and when I say relaxed he's just doing his own thing like he knows what he's got it's honestly amazing like yeah it's crazy and that's probably probably the polar opposite of me so like you know what i mean i'm looking at him going like how do you how are you that chilled in the week and then deliver those performances at the weekend like the way that he's able to defend line all those sort of things and then you've got launch who's obviously like the the biggest of the pack like you say slosh because of his big bottom um and he's in there like some of his more work is the best in the world the his work rate around the pitch is some of his breakdown stuff you say you've got marrow who's got that x factor and like goes and produces those big moments in games and like i mean all of these guys that i'm now looking at going like right what and then i'm going hang on what like what's my point of difference going to be how am i going to you know break into this group how am i going to compete but also I've learned so much from like, if I want to go and pick someone's brain on how do you maul, like I've got Joe Launchbury, who's one of the best in the world I can go speak to equally with Courtney, how do you tackle, like all those sort of things. So like I say, it's a question I've been asked a lot, but it's one that like I'm genuine in my response. Like I wouldn't be the player I am if I came through in a different generation, I don't think. But it's, it's, I think it's great to hear it, hear it from both of you say that. And, you know, I'll say that the the same for me with Jamie George and Luke Cowan Dickey chasing me only kind of pushed me to the very end, you know what I mean? And I think people need to understand if they don't, if there isn't that mutual respect that you you talk about or they're learning off one another, you just don't survive in that environment, do you? Like coaches see it, they see the eye roll, they see the the selfishness, the, the they don't want to see that. They, they only want team players. And do you know what? Often, you know, we, we talk about it a lot. The most important guys in the squad are the ones that aren't playing at the weekend. They're the ones that drive the energy. They're the ones that drive... Uh, training standards um, and whatnot. So do you know what? Um, That mutual respect thing's huge, Charlie. Okay, we're going to pause that chat for just a second because this is the part of the pod where you get to ask the questions. It's known as Ask Dylan Anything and the clue's in the title. You can literally ask me anything. Uh, So Emily has been in touch and she wants to know... Hi Dylan, I'd like to know what your setup at home is for watching the games. Is there a go-to snack? Hey Emily, uh, thank you for your question. Assuming I'm not there working live, which I've, I've done a few games um, over the last year, which has been you know a real privilege to, to watch live sport, uh, my setup at home is not that professional. The truth is, Emily, I usually watch it on my phone while doing a number of other things. Household chores. I watched some of the game last week against Wales in the shower. Um, I was in the veggie garden doing some bits. And then I come in and it's dinner time and I'm helping with the kids' dinner time. And then I'm celebrating scores and I'm getting angry with refereeing decisions. But where do I watch it? I watch it on my phone because I'm always on the move. Uh, I'd like to say I've got a massive big screen TV or a cinema set up and I sit down with a whole lot of um, bar snacks and a, a couple of beers, but I just don't have the time. If dinner's on the go, if there's uh, leftover kids' chicken nuggets, I'll have, I'll have a snack of that. But like I said, I don't actually sit down, get a drink and get the chips and dip out. I'm on the go all the time. Uh, next question is courtesy of Jamie. Did you ever play with a forward that had a hidden kicking talent? Yes, I played with many forwards that had kicking talents. Uh, I once tried to chip chase in a game professionally and I ended up kicking the floor and rolling my ankle at the same time. And I thought that was the rugby gods smiling down on me, reminding me that I do not kick the ball. And the other time I did kick the ball was an England training session uh, and actually was a successful kick this time. Uh, But Eddie Jones quickly reminded me that I was not allowed to kick the ball. The only front row in the team at the time was allowed to kick the ball was Mako Vunapola. But um, all in jest, the the best kicking front rowers I've seen are probably Jamie George. Mako Vunapola uh, would be up there for me. You can, of course, send your voice notes like Emily and Jamie did to 07940-445-002. Or you can review the show and leave a question for me there with the hashtag AskDylanAnything. So has anyone got a question for me, Ask Dylan Anything? Charlie, Ben, what you got? 
uh, would you get a hair transplant? Yes, 100%. I shaved my hair first lockdown and I thought, why did I do that? Never again. Uh, so I'm just hanging on to my hair as long as I can. And then when it gets really, 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 really too far gone, I'll give it a crack, I reckon. You look like you're blessed, both of you, with good, strong hair. Charlie just had a haircut, but like, just before it, Jesus, I've never seen a head of hair like it. So dense. I thought you and Mara both had scrum caps on. I'm genuine. <laughs> it was I'm like that. Saying, this is life at the coalface, boys. You, you know, this is front <laughs> row life. Um, I'll see you boys when you're 35, all right? I've got, I got another question. Uh, why were you called the butcher? Uh, this is funny because when we went to Argentina, Eddie called me the butcher. And in Argentinian press, they were talking about Dylan Hartley, the butcher. And on two, three separate occasions, people presented me butcher's knives, which is kind of unnerving. You know, people come to reception saying, where is Dylan Hartley? I have this knife for you. I've got this one knife of like an iguana kind of talon, big, long nail claw thing hanging off end. But the, the joke was that Eddie said I looked like a butcher from Rotorua, like I had the body <laughs> of a butcher. Ate too many sausages and yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Hannah Bottomer and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. You two are probably my two favourite guests so far. Do you know why? Because you're interesting. Actually, we had Mara and Benno on last week and they blew me away with what they do off the field. But I want to come to you first, Charlie. Um, I had to do my research, obviously. I do know you both, but um, I had to do my research. I went on Wikipedia yeah, look, no, stop no, no. that? Stop, let me just read. Let me, I'm the host. I get to talk. I can mute you if I want. Um, and it states that you are a keen car collector and take your Mustang to motor shows across the Southwest where you regularly pose for photos with fans on the bonnet. True or false? So I have no control of my Wikipedia. It's a, If you read a paragraph up from there, it's an old friend from school who runs my Wikipedia for me. And it's he's extremely proud of, of that title. Of, so of that Charlie... Job. Do you drive your Mustang? I've never owned car a Mustang. Conventions. I've never owned a Mustang. <laughs> and if I did own a Mustang, I certainly wouldn't be posing for pictures with fans on the bonnet and car collectors, whatever it is. So, it, like, yeah, it couldn't be further from the truth. But again, something else that a few people have, have said to me. Like, I remember before I knew what it, like, I didn't realise that was on Wikipedia. And I had a few people at um, games and stuff, like fans, obviously pre-COVID, saying to me, like, Oh, I was the Mustang. And I'm like, what are you on about? Like, oh, that's <laughs> great. Oh, yeah. Okay, so so if Charlie wasn't a rugby player, this is your words, you would be an accountant. And we're going to come back to that. Ben, you're not getting off too lightly. Compa- com- what is it? Comparative literature, um, yeah. Latin, and yeah. an economics degree. Am I correct? Uh, everything but the last bit. I, I didn't get a degree. I got an A-level, yeah. Okay, that, economics yes, A-level. So do you two get on really well on camp? No. I feel like there's a lot in common there. No, Charlie, I think that's pretty rude. No, no. no we, 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 yeah, we, he's actually in the room opposite me. So uh, we, we spend a bit of time in the corridor. I know you're right. And just both dip into our rooms. Number crunch. Yeah, exactly. Now, we don't really ever talk about it, do we, Charlie? Like, people don't really... I actually remember someone speaking about it the other day and then someone couldn't believe that Will Stewart has got probably the best A-levels in, in the whole squad. And you would say he is the dopiest person in the squad. I mean, know him pretty well. Lovely guy, but not okay. not the sharpest chip in the block. Like, I mean, anyone can say that they they know Latin and they've they've done economics and comparative literature. What is that for a start? Uh, that is um, an English degree with I can't remember the actual line, but it's like a more global scope. Read into that what you want. Okay, uh, Latin. Teach me something. I can do the grace in Latin before you eat your meal. Okay, please go. Jesus Christian Dominosrum. Amen. Amen. Um, <laughs> um, so have have you got enough like if, if you see a word can can you grab that straight away no nah, I don't so know you've got I, a hell of a CV that is a hell of a CV but the, the truth is it's all, nah, it's, it's all it's, smoke it's, and mirrors nah, it's not it's not nearly like as good as that I did um, my dissertation at, at uni on a on a Greek Greek book which is kind of where that Latin that Latin thing started but no nah, it's not nearly as in depth as that okay uh, jokes aside you guys seem well-rounded and rugby obviously took priority at some point but you know coming growing up was it always the thing or were you encouraged to do a bit of everything no it definitely wasn't always the thing I uh, played basketball a lot when I was younger played basketball and rugby and then that was kind of what I was doing I'd had a crack at music but I was terrible at it so wasn't really interested and then at about 16 I had to make the decision that like it was 
before then you can play basketball on the Saturday, play rugby on the Sunday and sort of do it all. And then at 16, it was, like, oh, I've got to pick one now. And at that point it was, like, oh, I'd prefer my rugby. So then it became more serious probably from then onwards. But even like, that wasn't like, okay, that's it done. It was just like, oh, I'm just going to have a crack at rugby and play that. And then it wasn't really until I left school and signed my contract that it was, oh, this is actually, this is actually a, a like, viable career. This is my job now. And, and what about um, military aspirations? Was there an option, a genuine option for you? Yeah, so my my sister's in the military. So my parents, like, I've got a big um, policing history in my family, but they actually sort of probably did the opposite and said, oh, push me away from that. And then they, but they were both, both like, oh, you know, military's great, like career, you get support and that. So yeah, my sister's a nurse in the Navy and she's smashing it. And she's, yeah, got her degree. She's working. She, when, when COVID, again, when COVID's all done, she'll be on boats, seeing the world, getting paid, doing all these sort of things. So that was probably, and I'd been to the careers office at 16 to like inquire about what it would look like for the army going Sandhurst and going in as an office going that way. And that was probably my goal at that time that, yeah, rugby. And then I was thinking as well, and if I keep going my rugby, like again, military sport is is brilliant. So that was probably more where my head was at. And then it just, you know, I say rugby then became an option. That's, uh, that's crazy, kind of sliding doors moments, uh, I suppose. And um, Ben, I also read that you're a chess guru. I don't know about no, guru. No, but like, you play chess. no way. I wouldn't be shocked at all if you already played chess. But Manu and Mako have taught you how to play chess, right? Uh, Mako more so, yeah. And... Um... And Faz, is, Faz has been good with, with us playing chess. If I'm honest, Charlie's a good player. Um, and back back in the old, in the in the last camp when in the autumn, we like there'd be quite a lot of people playing. And like Charlie'd be one of these people, right? You'd be playing. I'd be playing Max, for example, two absolute cowboys on the on the board. Like no idea what really what we're doing. We're just kind of playing each other's like next move. Anyway, I move on. Charlie goes. And then you move it back and Charlie's like knocking you on the shoulder to like move your hand to like the next the next piece and like do that. So like he's one of those ones like, you know, smug and like trying to steer you away from, from making errors. But like, and you, you'd then sometimes be on the receiving end of that and being like, mate, you just go away because I think I've got him. Like, but it's like Charlie's like, you two are rubbish. And we'd have like hour long games, Max and I, like with a no result at the end because both our kings are like moving to the other sides of the board. The, the one thing that I take from that is that word smug still follows Charlie around. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> inherited from Dave Atwood, um, who was the, the, the previous Bath lock to play for England. And it just seems to get handed down, cut from the same cloth, I believe. Yeah, and you were a big part of starting that, Dylan, which I... Um, <laughs> and keeping it alive. Grateful for. <laughs> yeah. My legacy. So was, was the chess born out of, um, is, it, is it the Queen's Gambit on Netflix? Is, is that what it was, was it? I think that I think it tied in with that, wasn't it, Char? Like a few lads had started, and then a few lads watched it and was like, "I'm dead keen on chess." And then like everyone, I got this like chess.com. I don't know if anyone's heard of it, but like you can just play random matches with, with strangers. And a few of my mates from school shows how cool I was back at school. But like we all play each other on this app, so it's, it's decent. First fifteen in chess club, very yeah, very, exactly. very good. Um, who, before we move on from that, who is the master? Both of you on the court, who is the best in camp? I'd say, like, yeah, Chess has been here for ages, and I'd say Manu and Johnny May are both very good. I'm not sure who would win. I think it would be pretty even games-wise out of those two. But yeah, no, Manu's two. a hustler, right? Manu's like, you want to play pool? Want to play snooker? Want to play yeah, darts? He's got the best bars, He's like 20 bars, quid, 50 quid. Time. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're 200 quid in debt to Manu, and like, <laughs> you don't want to be in debt to the Tulagi family, you know what I mean? Right, so let's move Chess to a love of lineouts, Charlie. Is, is there similarities there? Is there a crossover? Um, in terms of the tactical kind of thinking because look I know like in your head there's probably a couple hundred combinations of lineups between Bath and England I don't know like the manipulating side of it do you do you enjoy yeah I think yeah no I like the like I like the game within the game and I think like you can definitely you can definitely overcomplicate it and that's probably again when I was a bit younger I was probably guilty of that and I don't know if you've watched the previous next level but we sort of we, we went into quite a bit of detail on the lineouts in that and like Riggsy knows as well that like it's all about most of it now is yeah there's a bit about the calling and where you, and like the space and like who's playing for them and like who are their good jumpers bad jumpers and what space do they give you but ultimately as well so much of it most lineouts are lost because of your own drill and like again drill which we like we, we talk about it in the episode but like drill is how we lift how we jump how we throw like yeah you'll know in the test week the hooker's obviously a massive part of that that they want to get the feeling and they want to throw and throw the reps but they've got to be comfortable with the options and the lineup's got to be firing the hooker's got to be firing and so most of the week is actually just bringing all of that together so that we're good to go for the weekend 
Do you know what? I think it's worth, um, you know, the, the next level was so in depth. Uh, I'm sure that the people that are listening here have got access to that or probably have watched it, but check it out because you, you go right into it. But I also say from a hooker's point of view, I was never worried about, I, mean, I was worried about the complexities of it because there's a lot of stuff to remember. Like I'm trying to think of, you've called two calls, then there's three checkouts, then there's three non-verbals. I'm going, right, there's seven options on here and just kind of talking to myself as you're walking into the line out. But I would always back, and this is where a, a hooker's relationship with um, the line-out caller has got to be strong. So, you know, I work with plenty of locks out. It's like, oh, what's your favorite throw? I'd be like, my favorite throw is the one to the the space, like where there's no competition, where I don't have to throw it double top, where I can just throw it nice and safe, you know, throw it at someone's face. You know, I found that was a good option. If you throw it at someone's face, they're bound to catch the ball. But I just trusted you to make the right call. So there's a lot of there's a lot on your shoulders because I think people obviously everyone listening are, are rugby fans and students of the game. They know if you your lineout's not working, like you cannot effectively play the game. It's like if your scrum and lineout aren't, you know, it's the foundations. And there's a lot on your shoulders, right? How many hours what what I want to ask you, because all of that falls on your shoulders, how many hours a week do you put into preparing lineout menus? To, to make sure you can win clean ball and deliver a good attacking ball and exit your half. How, how much do you put in? Yeah, I think probably the first thing to say is it's definitely not down to just me. It's down like it's a lot of lads doing that thinking. And then again, it's oh, probably come on, you good. can be honest. Courtney ain't doing it. <laughs> Courtney's there in body, not in mind. <laughs> like, but there's like, it's like it's me, Maro, Johnny, and then there's uh, Joe Lewis, the analyst, Matt Proudfoot, the forwards coach. There's a, there's a number of people that are thinking about this and it's probably quite good that we're talking now. So it's what is it? It's 10 to 8 on Sunday evening. So I've today, um, I've reviewed our game from yesterday, like a lineup wise. I've watched all of Ireland's previous games from the competition and a little bit back before as well, taken all my notes on that. So that probably took me, I don't know, hour, hour and a half. Then I watched their game at three o'clock against Scotland to sort of just compare, are they still doing what they were doing or have they shown anything new? And sort of team wise, and then we've actually got a meeting when 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 this is over. We, we're meeting tonight to do sort of the first lot of the call sheet, which will take probably another hour, and then we'll meet again tomorrow morning as callers and as like as the lineup for to sort of sign off on that. Then we'll so walk. on a so, Sunday night, you're meeting at what time? It's after this, so eight o'clock. After so you'll finish up probably ten o'clock. You, you'll be done and kind of agree on what you're going to walk through and practice tomorrow. Look, poor old Benio is falling asleep listening about it. That's how boring lineouts are. But that's what you put into it. That's mad. Do you, do you know what's crazy? Again, is it is it too far to say that there's 70 to 100 calls? I, I know there's a lot of crossover, but if you looked at every seven-man formation, five-man formation, there, there's a lot, isn't there? I, I worked with Victor Matfield, who's an absolute legend of the game, and he was like, no, no, don't worry about all that stuff. I'll walk in and... Like when I look at you, just throw the ball. And he's like, that's all I did for South Africa. You know, simple speed, tempo, throw to space. You know, he just simplified it for me. But um, I do know you need those um, movements and stuff. Hey, um, are you still using the same calls? I heard shot the other day, mate. T minus, O plus. No, 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 no. Yeah, they're, that, that's no, mate. They were gone before you were finished. You've, you're thinking you're thinking old, old calls. No, yeah, they're... Probably things have probably gone. Things have probably gone full circle a little bit. So, different countries run it differently, and it definitely things definitely got too complicated. And I think looking at a lot of the Northern Hemisphere teams, they've all pulled it back to some to that much more simple. Like that uh, Victor Matfield there, you spoke about that. That 2007 when they win, they won 100 percent lineout through the entire tournament. For any lineout nors out there, that's a that's a must know fact. How do you know that? Yeah, because you, you study. You you like in the same have way. Have you done a degree in lineouts? He's doing his Latin. I'm doing my lineups. <laughs> Let's be- bring in the back rower. I-, I see back rowers in every lineout session. They sit at the back and they're like, "Oh, I'm not going to be throwing the ball. I I'm technically here as a lineout option, but the locks never throw it to me." Is that you, Ben? No, I am like the genuine no option. Like the role that we have now is seven mostly. Normally, it's like when Underhill was fit, it was like me and Unders would be would be running that. Like, we'd be like, oh, sweet, we're just down in the back of the seven-man. That would pretty much be us. But to be fair, like, we had a we had a thing the other day, Char, didn't we? And we uh, we had, like, a ball-winning thing. And, like, I'm in with, like, Johnny Hill. And I think Courtney was still in at the time. And um, John was like, mate, we'll do this one where you go up because no one's going to expect that. Did and, and no one did. So I actually won from one from training. So um, 
if you want to write that down that's that, and put that in the podcast, that's brilliant for me. Brilliant. That's like Billy going up, like something you just exactly. never see. I, I got one tale of that, like back rowers, they just, you know, James Haskell used to be thrown up on the odd occasion. He'd be like, you'd never throw him the ball. But when I would throw him the ball, unless you threw it to the diamond, he'd make a diamond. <laughs> unless you threw it there, he wouldn't catch it. So he'd have like this textbook jump and the ball would like, just be an inch off to the left or say he just wouldn't move and he'd be like bro can you just get it to my hands get it to my hands next time cheers dude like if you give me all the feedback i'm like you've got to move your hands like <laughs> oh my very god silly. i can actually empathize with him as well it's not a comfortable place to be when you've not been doing it for a, for a very long time it's not a comfortable place to be up in the air where's charlie gone he's buggered off oh, oh my word Oh, what the- oh. Charlie's turned pink and he's got green hair. We had this previously with Mark Wilson. The lights went out. I don't know what you've done, mate, but can you please sort that out? I promise you, I've not touched anything. So what, that, beard, that, that beard looks decent, though, doesn't it? With the green hair. Yeah. Actually, we can, see where the, we can see where the trim. We can, <laughs> we can see the difference in fade. <laughs> Hi, I'm Courtney, England Lock here to remind you to leave us a rating and a review at the end of the podcast cheers right guys we're going to go into a little quick fire quiz for you now that we call the greatest basically you take it in turns to answer what is the greatest and why here goes charlie what's the greatest sport other than rugby uh, quick fire it was sorry yeah you've caught me ben earl uh, golf golf without doubt I read my notes, mate. Big big golfing family, right? Exactly, mate. Purest, purest sport in the world, I reckon, golf. Is that is that a bit of you on your day off? 100%. Back in non-COVID times, it'd be twice a week, I reckon. No way. You got a handicap or what? Yeah, I'm off about eight on a good day, so not... He's got short team. arms. Tiny arms, though, so shortened clubs. <laughs> Charlie, you've had time to think. Uh, greatest sport? Basketball. Why? I like watching it and um, Michael Jordan last dance got me going with it again, got the juices flowing. Mate, can I just say, I grew up in the 90s, mate. I had original Chicago Bulls, beanie, socks, starter jacket, cap, everything. I was a fan <laughs> before the, the last dance, you know what I mean? Greatest box set to binge to or book series to read? I think I know it's going to be the latter. I'll go, I can go with either, but I'm going to go with box set just because I've been watching, I really enjoy Suits. I think it's brilliant. Like I don't I like it's such an easy watch, and uh, but every, the same. I've just realised the same thing happens in every episode. But obviously, I watched it back with Meghan Markle, so he's excellent. Ben, come on! I just said you're really impressive because you guys don't game and stuff like that. You're the first person that reads books. Yeah. All right. Fine. Ooh. I genuinely, I'm saying this: the Harry Potter's are worth uh, reading after you've watched the films because uh, they're actually a lot better. The films are rubbish. Oh, strong. Okay, Harry Potter. Uh, Charlie, who out of the squad would be the greatest on SAS Who Dares Wins? Mark Wilson. 100% agree with you. 100%. Oh, man. Could he play the grey man? He's actually got grey hair, doesn't he? He could play the grey man very well. He is the textbook grey man, yeah. He might even be special forces. We just don't know. (laughs) Ben Earl, what is the greatest prank you've ever seen or played? Um, Okay, I actually got played on the prank... I used to live with Nick Azikwe. I uh, don't know if anyone remembers him and uh, a few of the boys. He had a girlfriend at the time. And, Excuse um, me, did you just say if anyone remembers Nick Azikwe? <laughs> He's actually a very close friend of mine, so he won't, he won't I mean, mind me saying that. It's that old player, Nick Azikwe. You know, that old like guy, 19 years old? guy is actually younger than me, but yeah, yeah. it's fine. He, um, he had a girlfriend at the time and I got convinced that for, for a good week that my one of the other blokes in the house was having an affair with his girlfriend Nick like and they and they went along with the whole thing and it came to erupt on the Friday night and like I was like stuck in the middle of this thing everyone knew it was a prank except me it was mental what were you ready to like mitigate or were you ready like, to I was swing? like I was like fuming at the bloke and I was like mate that is unacceptable like you are the I kind of I'm not even gonna live with you anymore like I always knew you'd do it and then like it was like no we're joking and I was like Oh my god! I didn't mean those things about what I said about yeah. you. Like, you know, I think I said five minutes ago. Yeah, I was like, it's fine. Um, what is the greatest way to chill out? Read a book or nap. I agree. Greatest hype song before a big session or game? If you're a music man, uh, I'm not the person to ask, but I just asked for Carl Sinclair's playlist. We hear the same song every gym session, every pre-training, but it is good. But he has like one music taste, and it's like 
aggressive shouting with a beat in the background like that's that's what i'd call it i don't know any of the songs but they are excellent daddy's music yeah daddy oh brilliant charlie who is the greatest international player that you've played against so far and why kieran reed yeah reason being uh just like controlled didn't really make any mistakes and then like came on for the last 20 minutes played against him always wanted to play against that trio of him white lock and metallic and just see how they did things and it like yeah it was impressive those three were like those three were the lineup trio for new zealand so yeah always wanted to play against them got the chance to see what they're about and like best I've ever seen a team like problem solve and change through a test match. Like, I know it's the cliche talk about like fix it there and then, but their defence from the first line out to the last line out was completely different. The way they attacked was completely different because they just problem solved through the test match. So the, the, the fact that you actually remember that game and you look forward to that game like is really impressive about like how much you love or, or a student of the line out. It's like <laughs> well, gen- genuine. It's a, it's a pat on the back. It's it's amazing. And the fact that you knew that 2007 South Africa won 100% of their lineouts is also amazing. Slightly scary. Um, ben, last one. Who's the greatest comedian in camp? I find Dickie hilarious. Oh, Luke Cowan Dickie, he's, he's got no filter and will just say whatever's on his mind, which usually is like not a lot. So like, there's a lot of very good content that comes out there. So he, he's excellent. He keeps morale incredibly high, I reckon. Okay. Uh, Charlie, I'm going to ask you the same question, but someone that's not overtly... Or, or actively trying to be funny, who entertains you in camp? I enjoy watching Will Stewart. It just fascinates me how such a large man can just bumble through life. That's, but yeah, just he's quite intriguing. Uh, I like watching Johnny May, just his like mannerisms and what he's up to, find him interesting. I find George Ford like undercover funny. But like you got to really, really dig deep for it. And occasionally he'll say something that's actually quite funny. And Carl Sinclair is another one that's quite fun to study, just to see like what he does through the day and these things that he convinces himself and like mannerisms and stuff. Yeah. Brilliant. Right, Charlie, yours, Ben Earl. Thank you so much for your educated insight. Charlie, you've got to go to lineouts. Ben, you've got to go play chess. Good evening. Thank you. Have a good week. Thanks, guys. Thanks good for luck us. for the Irish on Saturday. Yes. Cheers, guys. Thank you. All the best. Cheers. Sadly, we're out of time, but if you enjoyed that, make sure you check out some of the previous episodes you might have missed. My favourite from last season was my chat with Mako and Joe, so be sure to give that a listen if you haven't already. Drop us a review and let us know what you think of the show. Plus, you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. FBCGDT, that is a mouthful, commented last week saying, great podcast, entertaining and educational and loved by my 11-year-old son as much as me. Thank you very much, FBCGDT. I'll be back same time next week with a very, very special guest that you won't want to miss. Uh, We'll be rounding up the Guinness Six Nations in style. Catch you then.